Turning now in uh, your copy of God's Word or using the Pew Bible if you need, Romans 8, that's page 944. Considering two verses this morning, 26 and 27, but as has been our custom, we'll begin to get the context and follow the flow of Paul's very logical discourse here. We'll begin in verse 1. Romans chapter 8. The word of God to us this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Can I help you with that? Can I help you with that? There's a question that maybe at some moments of desperation we appreciate, at other moments we hate, right? Can I help you with that? Uh, think about it. When somebody's asking you that question, what does it mean? They mean they have, they're seeing you, they're watching you do something uh, poorly. They're watching you struggle. Uh, usually it's at a grocery store you know, or some store, and it's the clerk that comes up and they see you reaching for something or... Or maybe actually the question implies they think you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And it's kind of a polite way of saying, I caught you. Can, can I help you with that? And, and so when we hear it, we're embarrassed, we're offended, um, and we want people to uh, politely keep their mouths shut and leave us alone. We can do it on our own. We don't need help with that. Uh, Paul wants to show us in this text, 26 and 27, that we need help. We do need help with that. And God is the one who's coming to us. And he's saying, I think you need help with that, and I can be the one to help you. Now, Paul assumes that we need help, yet if we don't grasp the point that he's making, then we will not be relieved and comforted when he tells us that there is a help to be provided for us. We first need to acknowledge that we need help before we can receive it. And so uh, there's two main things I want us to see today. First, the help that we need. Uh, second, then the help that God gives. Those are the two main things. But then we're going to conclude. On, I want to consider just a few points of application after, after we look at the help that we need, the help that we get from God. And we want to see the help that that really is for us, why this matters, uh, why this is actually life-changing uh, good news for us today. In other words, how do the truths of these two verses come to our aid right now and right here for us? But first, the help that we need. It's comprehended in a single word, in verse 26, weakness. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, the King James Version renders it in the plural, infirmities. Um, that's because the uh, Greek manuscript that the King James is translating from is different than most others. Um, but the singular is probably the most accurate, scholars say. And, and really, it makes the most sense because Paul is not saying we have a host of troubles. Uh, he's not talking about the different shortcomings that we face or the various difficulties we have to deal with. He's describing our condition. Our condition is one of weakness. Uh, our state is one of weakness. We have many infirmities, no doubt, but that's because at bottom we are infirm. That's why we have many infirmities. We have nothing but infirmity, says the, uh, the old 19th century evangelist William Newell. We have nothing but infirmity. And what is in view here when Paul talks about this isn't so much moral weakness or moral failings, all that, although that is certainly um, uh, a weakness that we have, but rather Paul's talking about a weakness that is inherent in us ever since the fall. Uh, this is about the, the subjection uh, that the world uh, faces and, and humanity, that groaning that humanity has because now 
um, sin has affected everything and, and things don't work right anymore. So he's talking more about our suffering than our sin, although our sin definitely makes us suffer. So when he says weakness, we, I think we could say there's three things in particular that, that's in, in view here. First, we are weak because we are um, physically frail. Our bodies don't work the way they should. We're physically frail. But second, we're also intellectually finite. We're physically frail. We're intellectually finite. Our bodies don't work and our brains don't understand things. We don't know everything we need to know to live a happy, healthy, holy life here on earth. We're physically frail. We're intellectually finite. Finally, we're emotionally fragile. Right? When faced with the stresses of day-to-day life, we succumb to grief, anxiety, despair, depression. And all of this, the physical side of it, the intellectual side, the emotional side, it's all comprehended in this single word, weakness. This is the state of humanity. Uh, this is not just the lot of some sorry people who make bad decisions in life to borrow Uh, The title from a popular TV show, This Is Us, right? This is us. Notice what Paul says. Look at the text. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He doesn't say the Spirit helps you in your weakness. He includes himself as one who struggles in this fallen condition. He too is weak. John Bunyan really was um, astounded by this, the, the point that Paul's making. He says, consider the person who is speaking It's Paul, and in his person, it's all the apostles. It's as though Paul is saying, we apostles, we extraordinary officers, the, the wise master builders, some of whom have been caught up into paradise, even we are weak. Now, I think we would all agree deep down, we know this deep down, that we all share in this condition of weakness, but... Uh, just in case you're not willing to admit your weakness and therefore ask for the help that you need, Paul hones in on one area that is um, indisputable proof that you are weak, and that is your prayer life. Paul gives a little window into our weakness. As though he says, you don't think you're weak, you don't think you need help, consider this. Your troubles are so many. Your weakness is, is so great and burdensome. Uh, Your issues are so complex and multifaceted, so heavy, so overwhelming that when given the opportunity to ask for help, you don't even know what to say. That's how needy you really are. Professor John Murray said, "We we need not suppose that the infirmity is in view is restricted to the matter of prayer but rather that prayer brings to the forefront how helpless we are in our infirmity. So it's, it's just a little window. It's a, it's a proof of Paul's point. We're weak. And here's how I can tell you. You don't even know what to pray for. That's how weak you are. You are so helpless. You're so needy. You don't even, need to, you don't even know how to say, I need help. Uh, Paul has simply laid out the argument to which no honest human could ever disagree. That we are weakness. That we need help. And I want to say this before we move on, although we'll come back to it in a little bit. I want to just say right now from the, from the, the onset that it's, it's okay to feel helpless. It's okay to be at a loss of what to do in life. It's okay to be at a loss of what to say to God, even. Because what we're going to learn here is God's work 
in us is such that he even accounts for our inability to fully express our need. That's, that's part of the equation for God. When he accounts for our weakness, he, he takes into consideration the fact that we don't even know how to express our weakness. So just because we can't verbalize or articulate our need does not mean the need won't be met. God, the Holy Spirit, makes sure of it. And that leads us to our second point, right? The help we need and now the help that we get, the help that God gives. And that help is nothing less than God himself. What a help that is for people as needy as us. It's, it's a help that meets and exceeds our needs. In the words of James Boyce, we are weakness itself, but the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. And I don't, we don't want to rush through this, this or gloss over this too quickly. The, the point that, that's being made here is that this is just a biblical principle. This is just the way God works, that when we have a need, God's way of meeting it is always to give us himself. That's the answer to our troubles, right? The help that God gives isn't so much his gifts, his graces, his blessings. It's him. He is the grace. He is the gift. He is the blessing. Think about Israel leaving uh, the, 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 their time in slavery, needing to get through the wilderness. They need help. They need, they need um, uh, a light to, to lead the way by night. And God gives that light in a pillar of fire, which is his glory in their midst. He gives himself. That's how God works. When we have a need, he gives us him. And for the new covenant believer, that means we have God dwelling in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. And so having the Holy Spirit... Now, more specifically, what kind of help do we receive? Uh, what kind of assistance? Paul lists two things. If you're looking at verses 26 and 27, he says that the Spirit does two distinct things. The first is that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, verse 26. But then he also says the Spirit intercedes for us. And he says that two times, once in 26, once in 27. So the Spirit helps us and the Spirit intercedes for us. Let's consider those, what, what, what they each mean. First... Verse 26, the Spirit helps. Well, um, that's a very generic word in English, and uh, the Greek word is much more rich, much more uh, specific than that. It's, it's a big word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you. It's seven syllables, but it's made up of actually three different parts of, or three, parts of three different Greek words that are mushed together, something Paul loved to do. He kind of made up his own words, and he put three words together. Uh, the, the first word... Uh, means something like along with. Uh, the second word means something like in the place of. And the, the third word means uh, to, to carry or to take hold of or to bear up. So if you put all of it together, the verb that we have simply translated as help means something more like to come alongside someone and to bear a burden along with them. To bear a burden along with them. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's um, in... Uh, the gospel when uh, the gospel of Luke when Mary is complaining about Martha, you remember that scene, 
And we read this, Martha was distracted with much serving, and Mary went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What does Mary want in that moment? She wants her sister to come over and to help her with the chores, to help her with the things that need to be uh, uh, completed. She wants her to share the burden with her, and the Holy Spirit is the great burden bearer of God's people. Now, you've received that kind of help before when somebody comes along and, and they help you. Maybe, like Literally, like maybe you're, you're, you're carrying something and, and somebody notices that, that you can't, you're not going to make it, right? You, 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 you attempted too much. You're not going to get through the door with all those groceries or you're not going to be able to make it to the car with that, that load that you have. And somebody comes and they, they grab the other end of whatever the object is that you're, you're trying to move and they... they bear it up with you and they assist you and you feel immediately the relief right now they've taken on some of the weight and and you both then are able to get that object to its destination and here we're told that the holy spirit himself is the one who shares in our struggle with us that that he that he gets down at our level and he bears the weight of suffering infirmity that we face every day that the suffering that our sin has caused he gets down with us and he, he, he groans along with us. So the, the fact that Paul uses this term groan makes sense uh, if, if this word help means to bear a burden up, right? You, you know what it's like. You're lifting something heavy and you're, you're grunting and, you're, and you, you, you're, you're groaning under the weight of it. And the, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit groans with us under the weight of, of our suffering and our sorrows. By the way, if you're keeping track, this is the third time Paul has... Uh, said something is groaning in Romans 8. The creation groans in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the, the new heavens, the new earth. Likewise, believers who have the first fruits of the Spirit also groan inwardly as we wait the redemption of our bodies. So we have inanimate creation groaning. We have image bearers of God groaning. You see the progression. Now thirdly, God himself groans. The Holy Spirit now also groans with us, and even as the NIV puts it, for us. What a thought that the Spirit of God, God himself, is not ashamed to groan with us in our time of need or our time of trouble, to, to bear burdens with us, to roll up his sleeves, as it were, and to, to get down and feel the weight of our hardships. He does that for us. He's the one who bears us up. That's the first thing Paul says. So when you read, the Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, think the Spirit bears us up. The Spirit bears us up. But the Spirit also speaks for us, right? Paul says twice that he intercedes. What does it mean to intercede for someone? Well, it means to come to their aid, come to their rescue. Even more specifically, and probably what's in view here, to, to intercede for somebody means to speak on their behalf. Um, to, to, you think of maybe, um, you know, somebody being interrogated by the cops and if they're smart, we know this from all our TV shows, right? If the police are interrogating you, you always ask for a lawyer. Why haven't you asked for a lawyer? Now we know we're going to ask for a lawyer. And it's the lawyer who there says, interceding says, my client doesn't need to answer that. Or, or they whisper into the ear of their client and the client says, I don't need to answer that. Because they were given words from their lawyer, and now 
They know what to say. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit speaks on our behalf. The Spirit intercedes for us. He, he speaks on our behalf. Why do we need that kind of intercession? Why is that something we need? Why do we need the Spirit of God speaking for us? Well, because Paul says one of the major displays of our weakness is our ignorance in prayer. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to say even. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. One that's so overwhelming and complex. One where the stakes were so high that you thought, I don't even know what I'm supposed to pray for here. Right? That, let's be honest. Uh, that shouldn't be every situation in life because the Bible gives us pretty clear direction and certain points of the kinds of things we should pray for. We know we should pray uh, for growth in grace. We know we should pray for an increase of faith. We know that we should pray um, that, that God's name would be hallowed, that um, his kingdom would come. We know we should pray for forgiveness of sins, for our daily bread. So it's not that we don't ever know what to pray for, but there are some situations where the... The, um, the, the issue we're facing doesn't come with a particular, you know, scripture reference or a citation. In this situation, pray this way. No, we actually think, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to pray for X right now or for Y. Or what if there is a Z option I don't even know about? I don't know what to pray for here. And we don't want to pray for the wrong thing. And actually, it was that fear... That led the ancient Greek philosopher Pythagoras, you know him from his theorem, right? Pythagoras, to tell his followers, don't ever pray for yourself. Now, this is a pagan, right? He's talking about praying to the gods. But the reason that he said this was because he said, Man, mankind knows what he needs, or, or man knows what he needs, uh, sorry, knows what he wants, but he rarely knows what he needs, and so Pythagoras said, if you pray for something that you want, but it's not what you need, then the gods are going to give it to you and actually will tend to your destruction. So never pray for yourself just in case you pray the wrong thing. Now, I think we might feel that way sometimes, right? We're, we're, we're um, cautious about praying for something in case it's the wrong thing. But here's what we need to remember. Here's what we really need to know. The Christian response to not knowing what to pray for is never not to pray. Never not to pray. Because why? Well, prayer isn't magic. It's not this magical formula that goes like this. You ask for it, God gives it to you. No, no, no. God is not a genie in a bottle. God's our Father. Prayer is that wonderful privilege we have of talking to our Father. And fathers, good fathers... Never give their children every single thing they ask for. Good fathers give their children what they know the child needs. What will be good for the child. That's prayer. You need to know that you will pray for the wrong things at times. The best of believers have prayed for the wrong things. Think about Abraham. Uh, we have that example of him pleading with God to take Ishmael. Right? Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. Would you just do this covenant thing with him? Right? Because I already have him. Uh, his desire is that God would, would make good on his covenant. So he says, just, just make do with Ishmael. And what does God do? God 
answers that prayer not in the way that Abraham prayed it, but he gets to the heart of Abram's request. The request was that the covenant would be fulfilled. And God does that, but he does it in a way that's far greater than Abraham even knew to pray for. He actually gives Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age. Isn't that funny? Abraham doesn't pray for that. Right? Abraham doesn't say, Lord, we need this covenant to be fulfilled, so give us a child in our old age. Actually, Abraham has just left that off the table. He doesn't think that's an option. And so his prayer... His prayer is misguided, but what we see is that God gives Abraham something better than what he's praying for. Paul's another example. Three times, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. Right? 2 Corinthians 12. And then Paul realized he'd been praying for the wrong thing. It was God's will that that thorn would do more for Paul if it was left untouched than if God had removed it. God didn't just remove the thorn because Paul wanted it, because Paul prayed for it. Rather... God gave Paul something better than Paul's prayers. So here's the good news today. God's response is always greater and better than our request. God's response is always better and greater than our requests. Timothy Keller has a a, a wonderful line where he captures this. He says, God will either give you what you pray for or what you would have prayed for if you knew everything he knew. God will either give you what you pray for, that is, if you pray it rightly, and if you don't pray it rightly, he's still going to give it to you if you had asked for what um, you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. And Paul is saying in Romans 8 that even though we don't always know the will of God, even though we don't know everything God knows, the Spirit does, And so he's the one who intercedes for the saints. Verse 27, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God will either give us what we asked for or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew because we have a spirit who does know everything that he knows praying for us, interceding for us according to the will of God. That's what we need, the will of God in our prayers, right? 1 John Uh, chapter 5. This is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the things that we've asked him. We need to pray according to God's will. Prayer according to the will of God are prayers that God hears and God's prayers that God answers. And those are the prayers that are coming before God by the Spirit groaning deep within our hearts. Look at verse 27 again. It says, He who searches the heart... That is God the Father, by the way. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. So the Father searches the heart. He knows what the Spirit is groaning and saying. He knows the mind of the Spirit. And what is the mind of the Spirit? It's the will of the Father. So the Spirit is putting into our hearts, in words that we can't even express, a desire for the will of God. Uh, He puts it there in language that maybe is, is uh, indiscernible to us, but, but God knows it. God can speak it. We had uh, friends over last night, and at one point, Evie's chattering away at the table and says something, and, and they kind of look at us to mom and dad. What did she say? And of course, we knew exactly what she says. You remember that with your kids, right? You know their language even before other people do. The Spirit is, is speaking a language we can't understand, but God can. He hears it perfectly. He, he makes our groaning his groaning, and he puts his prayer to God, the Father, inside our prayers. Isn't that amazing? 
The Holy Spirit puts his prayer inside of our prayer so that when the Father hears us, he's hearing the Spirit. Now, why is this so good? Why is this what we need, right? We, we saw the help that we need and the help that we get. And I want to just conclude by considering the help that this really is. Um, maybe you don't see it, so I want to I draw very briefly five points of application. We're asking, how does this text help me? How does the fact that the Spirit does this help me right now? Tell me, Pastor. Well, here we go. Thank you for asking. First, it helps us because we can take a sigh of relief and know that it's okay not to know everything. It's okay not to know everything. Uh, We don't know how weak our condition is. We don't know the will of God. We don't know what the future will hold. And that's okay. That's okay. Because knowing God's will is not required to be kept in God's will. Isn't that amazing? Knowing God's will is not required to be kept in God's will. So when you face a hard situation and you have no idea what the right answer is, that's okay. That was never an expectation on you in the first place. That's why we pray. And sometimes the prayer is simply, I don't know what to pray for. And God says, it's okay, I got this. I got this. God hears the prayer. The prayer that goes, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to do. God hears it. And he's saying to us today, it's okay that you don't know what to do because I do. That leads to a second application. That this passage helps us because it reminds us that even if we are limited, God is not limited. And he never is. Here I borrow from uh, John Piper. He says, be encouraged that God's work for you is not limited to what you can understand or express in words. Be glad that God is able to do exceedingly above all that you ask or think. Your thinking, especially in times of stress and groaning, is not the limit of God's acting. Your thinking is not the limit of God's acting. And be glad that there is a peace that passes even human understanding. God is not limited by your understanding. Piper says God is not limited by your limitations. Third, uh, this passage helps us. This, This truth in the passage that the Spirit is is groaning uh, for us and with us, and and that God is is searching our hearts to to find that groan of the Spirit. This this helps us because it shows us that indeed God is for us, not against us, which we've said that's the great theme of Romans 8. God is for us because God is searching the Christian's heart not to find faults and to make accusations, but to seek out that perfect prayer of the Spirit And so when you're helped by God, you can cling to this happy truth that God is for me. He searches my heart not to make me feel guilty, but to make me glad, to make me know that he's with me and he hears me. Fourth, know this, that even when it's hard to pray, when you struggle to get the words out right, know that praying is still worth it. This passage helps us because it's an inducement to prayer. It's encouragement to pray. Because it tells us that the efficacy of our prayers, the effectiveness of our prayers, the fact that our prayers work or not, is not based on how eloquent they are. How knowledgeable they are. Because the Spirit is taking our imperfect prayers and making them perfect. So, when you're struggling in prayer, be encouraged. That struggle is something that the Bible is telling you is is handled. Uh, Christianity is just a wonderful way of turning 
what otherwise would be um, things that discourage us into things that would encourage us. I think of Martin Luther has, has a famous line. He says, when Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he encourages me greatly because Christ died for sinners. So go on. Tell me all the more, Satan. That's the same. It's kind of the same upside down truth here, right? When I struggle in prayer, I, I'm, I'm prone to be discouraged. No, don't be discouraged because when you struggle, the Bible tells you you have something. You have the Holy Spirit. So don't despair. Be encouraged and keep on praying. As much of a struggle as it will be, God still hears you. God hears you because when the Christian prays, God prays. That's, it's, it's, it's mysterious. But when we're praying, something's happening in our hearts, and that's God is speaking to God, the Spirit speaking to the Father. The Spirit ensuring that the Father hears you. So why does this passage help us? Well, it tells us it's okay not to know everything. It reminds us that when we are limited, God is not. It tells us that God's for us. Fourth, it reminds us that when it's hard to pray, it's okay. We keep on praying. Prayer is still worth it. And fifth, just to draw all these together, I think very briefly we could just say this. This text teaches us that a Christian is never helpless nor hopeless when we have the hope of glory and the help of God. And so there's a question from God to you today. Do you need help with that? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be offended. Don't refuse his offer. Do you need help with that? Say yes, and you will receive it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindnesses to us. We thank you uh, for the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. We are weakness, and the Spirit is power. He's a gift to us. He's your gift of yourself to us. And we thank you and we praise you for him. And we do ask that, that this text would encourage us in our prayers. We know we don't pray the right things or in the right ways. But yet we should pray. We're called to pray. And why would we not pray? For when we do, we have a spirit who's, who's groaning in our hearts, speaking to you, ensuring that you always hear the words of your beloved children. Encourage us with this today. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.